of the Ten Commandments. Jehovah and his people are meeting on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. And uh, the Lord is now declaring his will in the Ten Commandments, his, his moral law, a transcript of his own uh, moral excellence, his holiness. And uh, we're dealing here more immediately in the text, uh, verses 8 through 11. So let me read for you Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, nor your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or your sojourner that is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and made it holy. Thus far reading God's word. Let's pray. Now, Lord, as you have declared your own day holy, we pray that you would honor it, and that we, in the Spirit, would honor it as you do yourself, honor it. Pray that you give us light, you'd give us conviction, give us resolve, that we might be light in you and light into the nations, that we might be light to sojourners, fellow neighbors, nations. And we pray, Lord, that we would be those who delight in all your commandments, and especially in this delightful commandment, to delight in the Lord's day. Grant us your wisdom. Grant us keen insight. And open our ears, Lord, and our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your word and your gospel. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <laughs> I don't need a, a great introduction already. We've covered most of what I want to say about the Ten Commandments. Just so I want you to remember, remember that we are dealing with a, a passage of Scripture that is very different from the rest of Scripture. The rest of Scripture was written by the hand of man. Ten Commandments were written by the finger of God. The rest of Scripture was written, for the most part, on tablets of stone, and tablets uh, or uh, manuscripts of papyrus. This was written uh, in stone, and it was set apart from all other revelation in that it was brought into the ark in the very holiest of places in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. And so these, what the, the scripture itself calls the ten words, are different from other places in scripture. They demand a greater care of attention. Because the Lord, of course, has exalted his word above all. But not every place in the scriptures has the equal exaltation. And the Ten Commandments are a, a situation where, yes, the Lord is exalted. We need to pay attention to this, and we need to ask ourselves some very hard questions in light of all that we see around us today, increasing secularism, increasing misuse of time. After all, if the Lord is not the Lord of everything, he's not the Lord of anything. He's God of all and over all, 
or he's not God. And if he does not God of time and our time, then I wonder what it is that we're doing with our time. The context, of course, of the, the Ten Commandments in terms of the Sabbath teaching is creation itself. Now, this is the strongest argument that this fourth commandment is not by design typological. There was no need to present a figure of Christ or a mediator before sin. There was no sense giving a commandment to drive anybody to a, a Savior or to a, a sign pointing to the Savior when men did not need a Savior, when men could delight in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right there without mediation in the garden. God wanted to meet with man. And he knew that if men, and not only Adam and Eve, but all their progeny, would work all the time, which, by the way, God did not do, by example, then there would be no time uh, for, for mankind to delight in the most significant of all things, that is, his chief delight, God himself. We like to boast that we can multitask, but the fact of the matter is very few of us can do it really and truly, and none of us really do it well. Surgeons are not playing video games when they're operating on your brain. Something important needs attention. And I think you would be very much scandalized to know that his attending nurse was playing video games while uh, the chief surgeon of the hospital was demanding her attention at, uh, at, in the surgical theory, the theater. Creation has its glory, but it's not to be compared with the glory of God. The Garden of Eden was glorious, but it's not to be compared with God. And God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is society. Three persons, one God. And man in his image is meant for society. And not merely with his wife, Eve. Man and women in God's image were meant for society with God. And they would enjoin that society in the same holy fellowship. That is to say, holy in the sense of not, not merely without sin. That was not a concern with Adam. But holy is, is in regard to set apart. And therein, my friends, is the genius of, the, of this fourth commandment. The fourth commandment is that we are to give ourselves wholly to God. Because that's the best that we can ever find. And if anybody wants to teach this commandment in any other light or any other sense, they just don't have the sense of Scripture. God rested because he wanted to delight not only in his works, but in the delight that the Father had the Son as the mediator of the initial creation. All things were made through Christ. God the Son and the Father were rejoicing in, in the work of God the Holy Spirit as he implemented the will of God and the decree of God, Father and Son, in all that he touched materially. For the Holy Spirit is the one that comes near, nearest to the creation, apparently, except for the incarnation, of course. Anyway, it's a deep doctrine. But the Lord, had t the Lord takes, as it were, and this is a paradigm that's for us, the creatures, not for God, who doesn't need to rest. He doesn't get tired by creating anything. God doesn't get tired. 
But by moral example, he wants to show us what delight in God looks like. And God is three persons. And he took time to delight in his own works and in the works ad intra of the Trinity and ad extra by creation of each person in the Trinity. And in being reasonable creatures, he invites us and he gives us grace and commandment to do the same. This is something that animals can't do. This is something that squirrels and dolphins and bears can't do. They're very smart. Whales are very smart. But they can't enter into the Trinitarian delight of the Sabbath day and regard the works of God. Man in God's image can. God drives this point home because he makes God uh, man in his image and he gives him a sense, a, a, a moral sense, a moral sense of what is right and wrong. And if God is holy, and his God demands our full attention, we must draw apart from some things, and we must draw attention to another. And that separation is the whole secret of holiness. And that's what we mean by a moral law. A moral Instruction, moral goodness is apart, wholly apart from sin. Moreover, because God didn't need rest, but he wanted to enjoin man in this separation for his good, he needed to choose a time for man to do that. God, in his wisdom, decided to create all things, whether spiritual or in, in, uh, material, visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all very good. He could have done it any number of ways. He could have created any number of worlds. He could have created any number of universes. This is the one that he decided on. He is God most wise. He could have set a schedule of worship every day. They decided not to. He could have set a schedule of worship every 10 days or every 30 days on a lunar cycle. He did not decide that. By a no law of nature and no law requiring him to do so, he, in his own infinite wisdom, decided by a positive law, that is to say by his own will, to separate one and make it different and distinct from others. And that one he called holy. And that is a day of rest. It's a positive law. and not, It does not depend on nature. The, the very moral tenor, or I, I'll, I'll even use the word instinct, the moral impulse of man, all men as societies to join all mankind as society and return to the source of all font and blessing. Every moral philosopher knows this. Every culture that has ever lived, every civilization has known this. Until the present degeneracy of post-enlightenment secular man who thinks he's something and he's not. This is a brand new error and derailment of humanity. And no wonder we're getting into such aberrations as willful changes of sexes and who knows where we're going to end up, redefining, redefining men and women, whatever image we want, because we refuse to acknowledge the image of God and his moral, and his moral goodness in, in us. Every, every impulse is there and always has been until about the middle of the 19th century. 
And so we have the Ten Commandments to help us and remind us what the right way, the, the way of God, the, the, the ancient paths, the way, the way of God. Now, they can't sanctify us, but they, they point to the way. This is the first table. I like the old wording. It's two tables. The first table regards uh, with those commandments with respect to God. And these commandments, believe it or not, first four commandments, one, two, three, and four, pertaining to God, have moral, have more and greater moral imperative than commandments six through ten. Now, people don't treat it that way anymore. This has not always been the case. Ancient civilizations have regarded blasphemy as punishable by death. And there goes the third commandment. The ancient uh, uh, custom in Hebrew, if a man did not keep the Sabbath, he was, again, liable. The fullest extent of the law would have him executed in stone. It was really, it was really accomplished. So, uh, Israel in particular was very, very bad at Sabbath keeping. And for that reason, they served 70 years captivity every year for, uh, for which they, they lapsed in Sabbath keeping. It was a, a capital offense, which cannot be said of stealing. It cannot be said of lying. It cannot be said of being covetous. And yet, because of the assent of man, in his conceit, he would place greater weight of guilt, of heinousness, of crimes committed to one another than those that are committed against the Almighty God and Father, the Creator of all. That's where we are. That's where we are as a society, and that's where we are as a church. And I hope to convince you more and more as we, as we look at what is the teaching of the fourth commandment. Now, the proposition here, the teaching, is that Jehovah commands his redeemed covenant people. He commands us to keep one day in the week holy to the Lord. Not holy to ourselves, but holy to the Lord, in distinction to the other six days of the week. That's what makes them holy. They're different. You must cease all regular work on the Sabbath day and find delight in resting or in being and being, not doing necessarily, but being with your God. That's, that's, that's the teaching. Jehovah commands his redeemed to covenant people to keep one day in the week holy to the Lord in distinction to the other six days of the week. And you must cease all regular work on the Sabbath day and find delight in resting with your God. And before I, I expose it, I've got, you know, you've got your sermon notes here. I am not going to cover all four points in the sermon. I'm going to cover half. But before I get to the first two points, I want to, I want to back up and, and remind you of the doctrine of work. I mean regular work. I mean what man is supposed to be doing the uh, six days. Because we, 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 we have a crisis. We're facing a crisis, even in Western civilization, where people forget the fundamentals, the rudiments of all life on earth. We are forgetting that the primal institutions pertaining to all humanity have to do with work, have to do with family, and have to do with worship. In redefining man, 
according to however some crazy elite group is doing to reconstruct not just America, but the whole world. It, it, it's coming at us from all directions. What they want to do is confuse everybody about the nature of work, the nature of the family, and the nature of worship. And many of our good Reformed theologians are more than happy to comply because it just seems to be the fashionable thing. But we don't have to comply with anything that's not in Scripture. We certainly don't. What is meant by regular work? That's what God says here, six days. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily. Most of the commentaries and most of the Reformers didn't say that the commandment meant literally you had to work six days. That is to say, if you've got an office job, you have to go in there on Monday, you have to work Monday through Saturday. The propensity is for men to want to increase with material blessings and material prosperity. It's almost a given that man would work. But that shows you the, de the degeneracy that we are of our age. A lot of people, my friends, are so degenerate that they don't even want to work. We have some of the laziest youth on record in history. Companies can't hire young people because they won't work for anything less than $80,000 a year. One man I heard turned down a, snubbed down a job for $120,000 a year upon graduating from college. What is wrong with us? And we will work to the letter of the contract and no more. We think it undignified to spend ourselves for others, for our families. We just think it's, a, it's above us. We're not servants. And we would gladly have people work for us rather than us work ourselves. Hire all kinds of people. I, you know, some jobs, it would be more convenient to hire people. Clean your pools, mow your lawns, trim your trees. Sometimes, you know, it's hard work, especially in Houston, it's hot. But there are plenty of people that in their abundance, as it says in the Proverbs, the, 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 the prosperous grow rich. And uh, having, having no work whatsoever, they have, they take their ease and they employ others to do their work for them. Creation in the image of God requires man to work because man is in the image of God. Work was not difficult in the beginning. Work was joyful. Work was creative. Work was, uh, it, it fascinated men and women to work. Uh, Eve would have been fascinated to cook. I don't know what kind of recipe she had for herbs and stuff like that, but yeah. All that changed at the fall. Sin complicates everything. And now became hard. The ground itself was cursed, and men began to work and to glean goodness of the, their work by the sweat of their brow. Work is hard. Work requires diligence. Work will exhaust you. You are not exempt from becoming exhausted as a Christian, when you work. You will work to the point of perspiration sometimes. You will make sacrifices. You will be less than absolutely, overwhelmingly delighted in your work because with the curse, nothing is as it should be. Your wages will not necessarily reflect fairness. People will not esteem your work. 
There is no occasion to quit your job. Our government is more than happy to molly coddle all of Appalachia so nobody there needs to work. They're all on government subsidy. As soon as they get their checks, they buy alcohol and other helpful entertainment devices like narcotics. They have been weaned from work by a sottish mother called the American federal government. We are at a crisis about what it means to work. And it's coming into even Christian families. The scripture says that if a man will not work, he will not eat. And especially it pertains to Christians who are redeemed and have regained somewhat the mind of God and the spirit of God to apply themselves in a new way, showing forth the dignity of what God intended in the original creation. That is to say that God, that man, that God made man as a worker and that it is a pleasure that men can take delight in art in music, in engineering, in cooking, in cleaning, in preparing sermons, in raising children, in exercise. We can, we, we can take delight in all these things because this is part of God's creation. And as we, enter, as we entertain these things, we can know that God is pleased because we are acting in a manner that he has prescribed as, as, as creatures. All the reformers, all the reformers, and I didn't understand this before, all the reformers cautioned against man being idle. An idle mind, a man sitting in a chair and doing nothing, is a fertile field to be sown by Satan. Work is good because it, it keeps your mind occupied on things that are good and noble and blessed by God. No work, it's the greatest temptation. But, but you talk to many people and their life's ambition is to retire. They'll find, they're, they're, finding, they're finding some way they can retire 45 to get the house paid over. Never mind missions. I, 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 can't, afford, I can't afford to get missions because I, I've got to pay off the mortgage first. And then I want to retire, and we'll see what happens after that. After that, I'm comfortable. Okay, we'll see. After I'm comfortable, yeah. It's like the farmer. He had a good year. So I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll store up my grains. I'll, buy a, I'll build a bigger barn. And then I'll say, soul, you have enough for now and for out years. Take your rest. And the Lord says, you fool. Don't you know this, this very night? Your soul is required of you. We need to think about the dignity of work because men are to be workers in God's image. And that's all I have to say about regular work. Now, concerning the, that Jehovah commands us to keep one day separate and not work, okay? Jehovah commands you to keep holy the days that he's appointed in Scripture. That's what this table of the Ten Commandments teaches us. Okay? The moral element is the Sabbath, but there are other days that are commanded in Scripture. Which days are these? Okay? The days God appoints are those 
in Scripture that he has revealed, those are the days that are to be kept as holy. And these are only revealed in Scripture. It cannot be ascertained by divination. It cannot be uh, ascertained by philosophy, speculative thinking. You just read it from the Scriptures. In the Old Testament, from Adam to Moses, in the moral law, it was codified one day per week, and that's the seventh day as a day of rest, Sabbath, or Shabbat, Shabbat. In the Old Testament, from Moses to Christ, under the, under the uh, Mosaic or the Sinaitic uh, covenant, there were over 50 days prescribed by God in Revelation that were designated as Sabbaths. I think the count is either 53 or 56. I didn't have time to, to look the whole thing. Now, in that count of 53 to 56, I'm saying the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath, counts as one. One. There were many other feast days um, <clears throat> that were important to keep, because, uh, and they were ceremonial mostly, or civil, but mostly ceremonial, and they had much to do with uh, the tabernacle services and uh, uh, the calendar, the Jewish calendar and all that. That was prescriptive for the Jews. Under the Mosaic Covenant, it had a particular form and a particular administration. We are not under that form and administration now. We are under the, the, the Christian epoch, and we are not under the Mosaic legislation as Moses knew it. So weeks and seasons and days of feasting, uh, these were prescribed by, by, by God through Moses, not in the table of the Ten Commandments. These are not moral commandments. These are ceremonial commandments. And these are ceremonial Sabbaths, and they were all required of Israel for their own good. And by the way, <laughs> a lot of these Sabbaths had to do with feasting and eating and get together with friends. I mean, look, if you think Sabbath keeping was a hard, uh, vicious commandment, you better take another look. God commands, look, on these days you can drink whatever you want as long as your heart was merry and rejoicing before the Lord with thanksgiving. Does that sound like something that's really, you know, like obnoxious? This is an obnoxious religion. I, anyway, these were all abrogated because these things were, as it were, props. They, they, were, they, were, they were symbols and they were signs and they were not the essence. But the essence is, even in the Old Testament, even as those people were eating and drinking, the essence of that feast in that even in, the, in, the, in celebrating a ceremonial Sabbath or day, was enjoyment of God. And those who were of the Spirit in those days really did enjoy Jehovah God uh, truly at those feasts. And they delighted in God, and they kept the moral law. Even in a positive commandment in a, in a ceremonial Sabbath. And God helped them in every way to do that, both in the Spirit and in the laws pertaining to the church, the youthful church. In the New Testament, after the death of Christ, we return to one day per week. Now, I don't know why people can't see this. It's everywhere apparent. Paul says on the first day of the week as you come together, set apart a certain sum of money. The first day of the week is, is the Lord's day. Yeah, John says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That's in the, in the Greek construction there, in the book of Revelation, the same construction as the Greek in the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew text of Isaiah 58. The day of the Lord is the Lord's day. It appears as the, day, the Lord's day in the Greek. It's the same construction. A, a wise scribe is to be reading in the original language. As you can see that, that jumps out. John makes a distinction of that day on Patmos. 
Is John out of his mind? Or is he an apostle? Is he a legalist? John? The beloved friend of Jesus. How can we miss this? In the New Testament, after the death of Christ, one day per week, from the death of Christ to the destruction of the temple, however, there was a period of forbearing for the sake of the Jews. God was being patient. And then you get into the book of Hebrews where people say, the writer of the Hebrews, whoever that was, he really had a lot of wisdom. He says, don't go back. The temptation is to go back to the symbols, the typology, the, not the essence that is Christ. You're to be enjoying Christ in the spiritual savor that he gives you, your soul's delight. You are, you are not to delight in ceremonies anymore, in mere calendar days. And all of these things were just figures. You must press on and enter into the rest, which is Christ, by faith and experience Christ. Okay? But in that time, the Lord is very patient. And there were Jews in Rome assembled there. Paul writes to them in the Romans. So one man regards one day as holy, other you know, all days, etc., keeping feasts. Well, that's a mixed congregation. There are still Jews there. And one eye is on Christ and one eye is in the temple, and they're, they're not sure what to do. Well, God will make it plain what to do when he brings the whole temple thing down. Then there's only one eye left. He just blinds that eye. It's Christ. Of course, Paul is, is dealing with cases of conscience and people that are reluctant to move on. And as long as the Lord gave occasion to that, even Paul took vows and entered the temple, shaved his head, and behaved as a Jew to the Jew. Are you going to blame the Apostle Paul there? No, it's a period of forbearance. But after that period of forbearance, that temple is gone, and all ceremony is abrogated. There, is, there are no other holy days besides the one remaining. And if we believe the late date of writing of, of John's uh, apocryphal, then you'll believe that that is well past the day of the destruction of the temple. But from the destruction of the temple to the end of the age, no more holy days. No more holy days, but the Lord's day. Now, my friends, I have, I have to ask you a question. Are, are we free? As I preached this morning, we're ministers, we're not magistrates. Are we free to enact legislation calling a day holy where God is not called it a day holy? Are we? Can we legislate a day and call it holy and say it's blessed? Only God can separate light from darkness, right from wrong, the sky from, from the, the water, his people from the world, and God has done it with one day. And the answer to that then is no, we cannot call what Jehovah has not called holy as holy. Only God can set apart a day. And not only set it apart, but bless it. Do you, do you not understand the doctrine of blessing? When God blesses something, it endures. When God blesses something, it, it, it is, it, it, he uses that day to glorify himself in unique ways. We don't just say bless because it's a nice word to put on on Hallmark cards and stuff like that. He sanctifies this day to himself. It is the Lord's day. Just as baptism is holy because it's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's name. And this is Jehovah's day. It's not Father's day. It's not Mother's day. It's not your birthday anymore. It really isn't. 
You can celebrate that at home if you like, but not in the church. Okay? If all days are holy, then the Lord's Day distinction is a non-distinction. It's a, it's a vain use of language. It means nothing. And God is far, far, far from uttering anything in His Word that is meaningless. I've already covered Rome, uh, Revelation 1.10. What about Romans 14? The same way. We are not free, my friends, to call just any child holy. And I make the distinction here in baptism. We do not baptize babies. We, uh, we baptize the infants of covenant parents, at least one. Why? 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, unbelieving wife is sanctified by the believing hum- husband, the unbelieving husband by the believing wife. The children are, are holy. Otherwise, he says they'd be profane, they'd be common. 1 Corinthians 7. God calls those children holy. All that is holy is sprinkled and brought into the temple. And that's why we do with these infants. But if God calls something holy, we have no business calling it unholy. And we have no business treating it as being profane. But that's what we do when we don't keep the Lord's day. It's just like every other day. The whole day is Jehovah's day. Now, if you're Jewish, that would mean evening and morning, the first day. I think it's, uh, it makes sense to give God a proportion as is common, uh, the common custom of the day. We can argue that later. But it's certainly not a half day. And it's certainly not what I've seen in, even in, in some presbyteries with, you know, at 11.59, the baseball league comes into action. Now they've done their Sunday morning worship. Now it's time for outreach. They want to outreach to the neighbors. And then what they want to do is tangle them and distract them from worshiping the Lord by throwing balls at them. They give them mitts and they give them baseballs and they throw these things and and that's supposed to be something that that will draw people into the church. Half day? That's not the teaching. Holidays? Who who, who says? Who, Who says that Christmas is a holy day? Who? Every Sunday is Resurrection Day. I can understand that. It's for Easter. Religious calendars, Lent, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. Look, I grew up a Roman Catholic. You don't, you don't want this. If you have a business and you're in competition, you don't want to give, you don't want to give a foreign country the advantage, any margin of advantage in competition by throwing away your labor force as was done in most Roman Catholic countries. The reformers fought tooth and nail to keep religious superstition out of the marketplace. The reformers fought tooth and nail to protect the rights of employees so that they would get good wages and good treatment. And Christopher Hill, who is a Marxist, is one of the best defenders of the Sabbath doctrine. Because employees in the 16th and 17th centuries wanted, well, they were tyrannically overworking their people. And people are not, well, even animals are not to be treated that way. All creation is to be served as Sabbath. Because as man rests, who's the head of all creation, the the creation rests. But if we're we're about running wild on the Lord's day, 
with all our speed boats and, and yachts and motorcycles were polluting and disrupting everything in the forest and everything on the beach and everything on the reef, even creation groans. Give us a break. Give us a break, say the animals. They're in it under us. And so we are not to call anything holy that God has not called holy. And we are to regard people, neighbors, and relieve them of our lusts for coffee and pizza and fried chicken on the Lord's Day. They're missing out on the Lord's Day services because they got the, they've got to start the fryer at 9.30 to get that oil up to, up, up to temperature. And they've got to get everything in line in the kitchen. And they've got to, there's a huge amount of logistics so that people can file out and begin to have lunch at 11. But that's what the, the rich and the abusive tyrants of God's people were doing in the Reformation. And there was no time for people to get to know the doctrines of the Reformation, the doctrines of grace, the doctrines of justification, justification by faith alone, the doctrines of worship, the proper uses of the sacraments, all the superstition that needed to be lifted. Where are people going to get time to study and to meditate and to come to conviction for all of these things that need reforming in the church when there is no time? Because all is being consumed by the lust of powerful men who must be served by their labor force. And all the nations that are making sweaters for you in sweatshops in Singapore, in Thailand, in inland China, they're doing the same thing for you. Every time you go to Walmart, get a steel and a coffee mug, just realize how much tyranny there is in the world with respect to labor. And you know what? That, that, that loss of equity, it, whatever goes around comes around. And in Jeremiah 12, if the people of Israel will not keep the Lord's laws, you know what happens? The surrounding nations lose the light of the God's truth, the glorious divine light of morals God's moral instruction. Israel is to be set as a nation, a nation as a light. The nations lose the light, Israel loses the light and becomes more like the nations. God gives Israel over to the nations until they learn what it feels like to have boots on their necks and privileges taken from them and every, every comfort of religion and liberty disavowed, trampled, and abused. If we don't start waking up and exercising the rights that we have still in this nation and obey the Lord and sanctify the Lord's day. He will hand us over to the pagans that don't believe in anything. And if we won't serve God, we will serve them and their lusts for cheap labor. And that's the way it worked in Israel. Read Jeremiah 12. Now, if we're going to keep the Lord's Day holy, we need, to, we need to prepare a little bit, a little lightly. No, think ahead. My wife says, Lou, have you set out your, your suit for tomorrow, your clothes? You know what clothes you're wearing? I always wear the same clothes, so that's easy. Now I didn't have to shave, right? So it's easy. 
A little preparation goes a long way and you delighting further in the Lord. Is that legalistic? No. Think ahead. How can we make the most use of the day? There'll be people. Can we invite some people? Maybe some single people? Can we relieve others of cooking? We've got plenty of food here. We, the Lord's blessed us. We've got plenty of food. It'd be nice to sit back and you know, maybe talk about Sunday school. What happened in the kids? What happened in kids' church? Huh? What, happened, what happened there with the teacher? What did you learn? Take time. Draw near to God. Pray. We need a lot of prayer. I need, I, I need, I need more time to pray. I think this church has to take some serious, serious look at how little prayer we actually do as a, corporate, as a, as a congregation. I've never been in any church in, any, in my entire life that prayed as little as this church. And that's, and that's a valid criticism. Where I came from, from, uh, from seminary, Wednesdays, one hour to one and a half hour, even in the middle of a busy week, seminary, tests, we all gathered for prayer. And I think that's what got us through. That's what got us through a heavy, heavy schedule of study. Now, I want to give you an incentive. And this is the insight I want to give you regarding the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment, the last commandment of the first table, is kin to the last commandment of the second table. The, second, the last commandment of the second table has to do with covetousness, negative, it's a sin. On the positive side, contentment, the condemnation of covetousness, the appraisal, the positive side of contentment. Sabbath, same way. You are to not work. The positive side of that is not contentment, more than that, it's augmented. It's delight. And that's what Isaiah 58 says, if you will keep my Sabbaths, my holy days, and you will delight yourself in the Lord. And then it gives you a tremendous incentive. I will feed you the inheritance of Jacob. I'll make your feet like hinds feet in high places. It's a language of victory. Are we saying that we are going to be more than conquerors by keeping commandments? No! What we're saying is once we see the grace of God and drawing close to God and we enjoy that fellowship, we are already overcome. We are already overcomers. But if we do not take the light in the Lord and see no advantage at all in our spare time to draw near to God, then how is that taking delight in the Lord? and putting aside our own wills, as Isaiah 58 and verse 13 and 14 say. The commandment has to do with delight. It's resting from our worldly employments and by faith enjoying the things of the spiritual world that God will provide for our material well-being. And we can just set that aside. Even, an, even a bow, a strung bow, needs to be unstrung, lest the wood lose its strength. Unstring the bow. Take your Sabbath rest. Rest from our worldly employments and rest really from all other recreation. Why? Well, as it implies, 
when we recreate, we're still about running all over the face of this earth. And creation itself needs a Sabbath. Creation itself, the animals, the land, needs rest. If everybody in New York City would be at the beach every day, that beach would be a cesspool. Don't you know that? I mean, I feel that. I'm, I'm, fishing, I'm fishing the Florida Keys, and I'm in my kayak, and here comes a guy with twin 200 outboard engines. He gives me a greeting of a wall of water three feet high. Hey! Catching anything? Yeah, I'm catching your foam. Thanks. <laughs> the creation needs a break. And you're a creature. And you need a break. King James I of England. Nasty guy. I don't know why, you know, <laughs> think about the King James Version, great. Uh, uh, you know, by decree, he got that one right, okay? I mean, even a broken clock is right twice a day, they say. He wanted a directory of sports. Why? Oh, he needed an army. And he wanted military advantage of strong men with strong bodies. And so he wanted people to be very active. And he fought the reformers. And first, and, if, and by the way, he was also very much uh, an Anglican in sympathy with uh, a lot of the Roman uh, church. It was very political. He saw himself sometimes as, as an outsider. And it was to his political advantage to slow down the Reformation. And what better way to slow down the information is to have people commanded to kick balls and throw balls. It's a day of balls. Throw the ball instead of worship God. That's no different than what we have in the NFL today. Uh, they're, they're the first ones to declare Sunday, and uh, that's our day. They've, they've dethroned God, and boy, I'll tell you what, they are happy that they own that day. They have, they have dominance on this day. All TV commercials are theirs, okay? Well, the teaching here is, of course, accept, accepting work that must be done in God's providence because the commandment is holy and good and just and loving. If someone needs to, prescriptions, I think we need pharmacists. We need, uh, you know, we, need some, we, need, uh, we need some people to be there to help people that are in need, the needy. We, need, we may need food kitchens. We, we need hospitals. We need some doctors and, and, and nurses. Used to be, used to be reformed doctors. They they wouldn't charge on the Lord's Day. They would just work freely. That was their, that was their charity. Once a, once a week they would work for free. You mention that today and they'll kill you. You know. Deeds of mercy are in keeping with the spirit of the commandment. It's holy. But you are to keep it holy unto God, not to yourself. This first table has to do with your relation to God, and whatever you do, says Paul. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, you do it as unto the Lord anyway. But if, on, if you treat the Lord's Day, even the weekend, there's something that's tacked onto your work. Now you've worked hard. Now you deserve this break. Now you've worked all your, all your life, and now you deserve a, re a retirement. Uh, it's not in keeping with what God wants. It's not in keeping with the Spirit of Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, delighting in each person 
delighting to include, as 1 John says, make our joy complete. Believe the gospel. Join us in this holy fellowship. That's the most delightful thing that, that we can have going for us in this life. And so, my friends, we need to understand what God wanted by this commandment. We have seen <clears throat> a complete confusion of biblical Christianity and a false modern religion called dispensationalism, which has absolutely snipped apart the moral law of God. And I'm very grateful that the, the leading uh, thinkers of today in our leading seminaries are seeing the decline, the exhaustion of theological production, new theological production in the camp of the dispensational churches. It's on the decline. There are, there, it's just, it's exhausting. Meanwhile, we got churches that still think it's, it's normative Christianity. And it will continue that way because lay people will be confused for the next hundred years. Unless the Lord brings a revival. That's, that's the nature of heresy. The schools get it together and they begin reform. A few guys, you know, they get it right. But the people, once they have sown to the flesh, it's really hard. It's like a tiger that's tasted blood. He's after, he's after mankind. It's going to take a lot of patience to reform the church, to keep its practice, the practice they had kept for 19 centuries as a Christian church. Even France today still has rules governing no truck driving on the Lord's day. They're ahead of us. France. France is ahead of us. As for the letter of the law, which, by the way, makes nothing of spiritual sense at all in the keeping of the commandment. But there you have it, at least externally. Okay? <laughs> the whole commandment is there as a privilege. Sure, Sinai was a tempest of fury and flame and wrath. But that's not all it was. The elders of Israel were invited up to sup with Moses, Aaron, and Jehovah on the mountain. They found rest. They made friend it was a it was a, a peace meal. It was, a, it, was, it, was, it was a fellowship meal. It's not all wrath in the Ten Commandments. And even in John 14, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, my, my Father and I will come to you and will abide with you. But if, if, if Christ and the, and the Father are wanting to abide with you, and you're chasing a kickball, does, does that make... What are you going to do? You got, you got a decision to make here. We're cognitive, reasonable beings. Our affections follow our wills. You're going to miss out on the delight of this day. You're going to miss out on the fellowship of God. And that's not hurting God. That's not hurting God one bit. But you are grieving the Spirit. But really, it doesn't... Um, We'll talk about that later. But you're hurting yourself. You're just hurting yourself. And you're hurting the church. And you're making the minister's job very difficult because he has lots and lots of things to cover because he wants to bring you to perfection in adornment as Christ's bride. And you're recalcitrant and you don't give it time. 
and you're causing divisions over fundamental issues such as commandment keepings. That's what we got. Take a good look at this commandment. There's a lot of ink spilled. Especially in the Old Testament. But even among the reformers, if you want a reformed church, the ordinance to first have in place is the Lord's Day. Everything else falls into place after that. And that's the teaching of the Scripture, as far as I can see it. That's the Word of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for all of your law. We pray that it might be our meditation day and night. All of your revelation. Law and gospel. And Lord, we, we confess that we are lawbreakers in every way, that we have not perfected any one of your commandments. All of these, Lord, are sufficient to condemn us. And we are not justified in keeping any one of them. We are justified freely by the righteous commandment keeping of Christ and his great atonement. We thank you. We thank you that you regard us already as perfect in, his, in your sight by the righteousness of Christ and his obedience, both active and following your moral law and all commandments and in dying passively on the cross by your will. But we pray, Lord, as, as the spirit of prophecy is from the very Lord that we worship, we pray that we would understand your word even as Christ does and that we would understand your will in creation even in our fall as work becomes difficult and we need our bodies wear out and we need rest and creation needs rest we pray especially that as regenerated Christians we would regain the sense of our initial calling, of our renewed image in Christ, renewed in holiness, renewed in, in uprightness. We pray that we would make sense of it now, even in this age, and begin to enjoy the things of eternity, the true and everlasting rest, the righteousness and the, the free and everlasting intimacy with God, uninterrupted in the new heavens and the new earth. Until that Help us, Lord, to savor those things and to relish those things as you've given them to us as gifts for our good. We pray, Lord, that you would help us in every way to please you and to be profitable servants and kind to our own souls and bodies. Give us wisdom, Lord. Give us wisdom, we pray. Through Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's sing our last anthem, number 540. Oh, 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 you know, I, I, I apologize again. I did it again, didn't I? All right. We've got the table. Will the elders please come forward, and I'll have a few words.
What is this? Oh, okay. That makes sense, doesn't it? Have we got enough guys? Okay. The Lord's table is just that, an occasion to delight in the Lord. Of course, in the night in which he was betrayed, uh, it didn't look like something that would be a delightful thing because the Lord's words were very heavy, but they were to be the most blessed words of all. He would give his life a ransom for his friends. And just as those early disciples barely understood the privileges of that table, we, we, scarcely, we scarcely understand what's going on here. But we know from the teaching that the Lord will always be with his church and that he has promised a blessing by every ordinance. And this is an ordinance instituted by Christ for the good of his church. It's a sign and a seal of the king that this is indeed a gospel church, that we proclaim the Christ that died for his people, his body torn. He himself, as I alluded to this morning, was accounted a covenant breaker in the breaking of his body. He was imputed the sin of covenant breaking. And when we take that bread and when you see that it's broken, Remember that Christ suffered the ultimate shame and was dismissed somehow from the fellowship and enjoyment of God that you might come into his holy fellowship and enjoyment. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Remember that. Christ who suffered in your place Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, he received from the Lord, but he also delivered to the Corinthians. Lord Jesus, on the night was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is your prophetic duty, and this is... This is a, a, a prophetic nation, the church, and, and we're, glad to we're glad to show principalities and powers that we do acknowledge Christ dead, buried, resurrected, and risen in glory. Now, if this is your faith, this is your table. If you know anything that is keeping you from enjoying God and truth, fellowship, and the light of the gospel... I urge you even now to confess your sins and, and turn to God. Turn from sin and turn to the Lord. If there's anything keeping you from doing this, it's, it, it's just that you're, you're not sure that you're a Christian. We should talk about this later. But if you are a Christian, even if you've sinned, this table's for you. This is the remedy. God is here as, as your shepherd and physician, and he gives you grace, and he loves to meet with his people. He loves to be remembered. He loves to remember you and receiving him again. So, by all means, partake. Let's pray that the Lord bless the table. Lord, this is just a meal of crackers and wine if, unless you bless it. But if you bless it by your word, they become for us spiritual nutrition. And, uh, Lord, a ministry. A ministry at the hands of the Holy Spirit. We pray that as we obey you in this ordinance, 
that you would be pleased to bless and sanctify the bread, make it holy to your purposes, and sanctify the wine, make it holy to your purposes as you've left us instruction. And by the way, we also ask that as we, as we receive, that you would be honored, that you would be worshipped, that we would adore you, and that you would again, by infusing grace in us, improve us through this spiritual nutrition, not of bread and wine, but of Christ himself. We plead it because we, we trust this is your will. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.